0: ladies appreciate that very much and uh, that's what we're here to talk about this morning if you would take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter number nine Isaiah chapter number nine and uh, normally on Sunday mornings if your Bible kind of automatically flips open to Mark uh, I understand we're going to take a little hiatus from that uh, for a couple weeks as we uh, consider this time of year and of course, what uh, the Lord did for us in, uh, in coming to this earth. and uh, But today we're going to look at the names of Christmas, the names of Christ-mas. mess. right, so a little play on words there. But uh, if you would, uh, once you find that, if you're able to stand, if you would do so, uh, for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, we're just going to read verse number 6 together. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, the word of God says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Let's pray one more time together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the names mentioned in the scriptures of the Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, learn the significance of what those mean for us today. And I pray that we would uh, be good hearers of your word, and but then help us, Lord, to apply the word of God to our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So this Christmas season, we here at Cornerstone Baptist Church are going to focus on the names that our Savior was given. And in that, we are going to see that each one of these special names that the Lord Jesus was given has a significant meaning for each and every one of us in the here and now. Now, names are extremely important. Uh, Julie and I were just talking with each other this week about our children's names and uh, we were talking about, you know, deciding what their names were going to be, and we ended up coming up with a couple rules regarding the names of our children. Um, when uh, we and we didn't realize that we were doing this. When when we named Seth, we weren't even sure at that time. We decided to be surprised as to what gender Seth was going to be. Uh, we we had no idea if it was a boy or a girl, and uh, one lady in our One lady told Julie, she says, you're having a girl, and here's why I know, because girls steal the beauty from the mom. Wasn't that an encouraging thing to be told? Um, So um, imagine (laughs) uh, to her uh, dismay that uh, it was not a girl. It was a beautiful baby boy. And uh, we got one amen from the front row up here. So, Um, but uh, we decided to name uh, this child, this first child, Seth. We wanted the names to be Bible names. But then later we decided, you know what? We want all these names to not only be Bible names, but we wanted them to be one syllable Bible names. Because at that time we were serving at a larger church with a very large campus and we knew that. Yelling their names would be a lot easier if it was one syllable versus 27 syllables. Like, okay, your Bible is open to Isaiah chapter 9. If you look back to Isaiah chapter 8 in verse number 1, uh, we this would have been a Bible name, but it would not have fit the, uh, the same category here. Verse number 1, moreover the Lord said unto me, take thee a great roll and write it in with a man's pen concerning meheher al, has uh, Can you imagine naming your son that? Okay, uh, so we decided, okay, they have to be Bible names. Uh, and, and just because it's a Bible name doesn't mean, you know, Cain is one syllable, but we're I don't really want to name our son Cain, okay? He doesn't exactly have the best reputation in the scriptures. So Seth, and then uh, Luke, and then Mark, and then Faith, all again, Bible names, one syllable, and uh, that's what we decided to do. And uh, and then I've, I've shared this before, but it's, it's been a minute. Uh, but uh, my name is Eric, uh, not a Bible name, but a name that I really love, especially when I found out what my, my dad wanted to name me uh, before I was actually named. He wanted to name me, he really liked the name Clarence. Okay? <laughs> and, and and I know some Clarences, and, and I don't want to knock the people who have that name exactly but it's not my favorite name okay Clarence and uh, my, my mom she said we're not naming our son Clarence we're naming him Eric and I'm really thankful my mom won that argument there and I, and I was sharing that with my wife uh, when we were dating and she said are you serious because something similar happened to me uh, my one of my family I think it was your grandma really wanted to name you Penelope and uh, and and her, like Penelope, really? I mean I know there's some famous people named Penelope, Penelope Lope or Cruz or whatever, and I don't I don't really know. Anyway, uh, Penelope's not exactly the most appealing name in the history of women's names. Um, and so uh, her, her her parents were like, no, we're naming her Julie. Uh, but it could have been this morning. It could have been Clarence and Penelope Johnson, you know, it could have been. <laughs> It could have been, but I'm thankful that it's not, that it's actually Eric and Julie, and uh, no, you're not allowed to use that name on either of us, okay, because that is not on our birth certificate. No, you're not allowed to use that, but, but we're here not this morning to talk about our names. We're really here to talk about the name, which is above every name, uh, the name of Jesus, and it will be at that name that every knee will bow "...of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue one day will confess that Jesus Christ, that name, is Lord to the glory of God the Father." There are many names given to our dear Savior in the Scriptures. In fact, there are over 250 different names and titles given to Jesus Christ in the Word of God. And while it would be good to cover all of them at some point this Christmas season, we're only going to focus on just seven of them. You're welcome. Um, uh, but we are going to just look at seven of them as we go through this series. Uh, we're going to be, uh, of course, here today in this ser- in this service. Uh, tonight, not going to be in this uh, series, but we will look at it next Sunday morning, next Sunday night, and then, uh, Lord willing, finish on Christmas Eve as we look at these seven different names. And, of course, the number seven is the number of completion, and so I thought that we would just do seven of them uh, as we look at his name which is above every name. Now Isaiah is given a special prophecy here concerning the coming Messiah, of both his first coming in the form of the little baby, Christmas, uh, this is what we're celebrating, but then also his second coming and what he would one day do uh, as he comes back for us. And uh, in that, there is some names given that uh, he was going to be uh, called by. And in verse number six, we see here, for unto us a child is born. Of course, that is a reference to the first advent, to uh, his first coming to this earth in the, in, in the first Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's a reference to his second coming, to his second advent. And then uh, his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's five names listed in this particular verse, and then there's two others that we'll look at um, as we get to Christmas Eve. But uh, today I want to just focus in on the first two names mentioned here in verse number six, the name Wonderful and the name Counselor. So let's look first this morning at the fact that his name shall be called Wonderful. And that is the first one, listed, as we mentioned a moment ago, as we sang uh, the, the song, His Name is Wonderful. It's not just, and, and we usually use the word wonderful as an adjective, don't we? We, we just say, man, that was, a wonderful, that was a wonderful sermon that our pastor preached. That, that, that gets used quite a bit, I'm sure, in your home. I hope it does. No. Um, but, you know, if you go, to, you go to an event and it was really great, you might say, well, that was a wonderful event. Or, man, that was a wonderful meal that you made, honey. Uh, you might use that as a, as a, we traditionally use the word wonderful as an adjective, but it's not used as an adjective here in Isaiah 9.6. It is, it is used as a name. That, that's his name. It's used as a noun. And so, uh, because he completely embodies what the word wonderful really means. Okay, what does the word wonderful mean? Well, it means marvelous thing. The Hebrew word for uh, wonderful uh, can also mean marvelous thing. Well, isn't the Lord Jesus pretty marvelous? Uh, Another uh, definition given by somebody else means uh, this word is derived from the verb uh, pala, which means to separate, to distinguish, or to make great. It is applied usually to anything that is great or wonderful as a miracle. So if you ask me, (laughs) it's a very appropriate name for our great Savior. Wonderful. Uh, Some of you have maybe have watched the show uh, Shark Tank. And uh, one of the investors, usually the guy sitting in the middle, uh, his name is known as Mr. Wonderful. Well, he doesn't exactly embody what the definition we just—I've uh, watched it a few times—and and, and uh, he doesn't exactly uh, def- fit this definition here. But uh, and and his name could be called Mr. Wonderful. Okay, whatever you can you can think you're all that in a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. But um, but but here's the thing: Jesus embodies. He's not just Mr. Wonderful. He's just wonderful. That's his name. It's not, just a def, it's not just an adjective to describe him. That's who he is. Now, what about our Savior makes him so wonderful that that's what his name would be? Well, I want to look very quickly this morning at uh, four aspects of, of the Lord that, that say that he is indeed wonderful. First, uh, let's notice that his coming was wonderful. His coming was wonderful. See, how he came to this world uh, was extremely wonderful. Okay, not the way, though, the world would consider wonderful. I was reading about how Prince George, who uh, is now eight years old, and uh, they just put out their, um, you know, Prince William and, and Kate um, put out their 2021 Christmas picture, and they're sitting there in Jordan in and, and kind of casual clothes. Well, well, back in 2013, when Prince George was born, um, about eight and a half years ago, he was born in the Lindo Wing of St. Mary's Hospital, London, on the 22nd of July of 2013. This, This birth of Prince George was announced by press release and was followed by the display of a traditional easel in the forecourt of Buckingham Palace. The newborn was widely hailed as a future king in the majority of British newspapers. A 21-gun salute signaled the birth in the capitals of Bermuda and New Zealand. The bells of Westminster Abbey and many other churches were rung after his birth, and landmarks in the Commonwealth realms were illuminated by various colors, mostly blue to signify the birth of a boy. And on, on, 24, uh, on July 24th, just two days after his birth, his name was announced as George Alexander Louis. Prince George's official title and style is, quote, His Royal Highness Prince George of Cambridge, which he has carried since birth. Now, this all makes sense in a worldly sense because Prince George is heir to the throne. Okay, well, let's compare that with Jesus, the King of the Jews. When he was born, how many 21-gun salutes did he have? A grand total of zero. You see, uh, Jesus, the King of the Jews, entered this world in a very different and in a very humble manner. There were no press releases, no 21-gun salutes, no media coverage, just a heavenly announcement to a bunch of lowly shepherds who came to see the newborn king of glory, who was laying in a manger because there was no room in the inn there in the little town of Bethlehem. You see, the, the way he came was, was pretty wonderful. When you consider here God entering, in, becoming man and, and entering into this earth that he created, he could have come in great pomp and circumstances, and certainly he deserved all that. Instead, he came in a very lowly manner. His coming was wonderful, not in the worldly sense, uh, but in a sense that he was willing to lower himself in such a way to not create a big uh, hoopla. But he came in a very humble way. He also was born of the virgin. Bir- he was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, and that was the cornerstone and the bedrock of our Christian faith. Without that. Uh, <clears throat> we don't have a sinless bloodline. Without that, we don't have a, a, a satisfactory substitute on the cross of Calvary. We needed the virgin birth of, uh, of Christ. Yeah. And and by the way, you think about it, you think about the fact that Jesus resurrected. Um, there, there have been people resurrected before Jesus resurrected. There have been people uh, since that... Uh, I mean, Jesus wasn't the only one to have died and then rose again. Now, Jesus is the only one to do that on his own power. uh, But others had experienced a resurrection. And one day, Lord willing, all of us, or not Lord willing, uh, all of us will experience the great resurrection uh, at some point down the road. But, But no one before or since had ever been born of a virgin. Only one. And that was the Lord Jesus. Uh, No wonder they called his name Wonderful. Also, he was the fulfillment of uh, Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah. Uh, A number of years ago, a man by the name of Peter Stoner and Robert Newman wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. And I know uh, we're kind of over the word science uh, in the the last couple of years, aren't we? I don't really want to hear any more about science. Um, but this book was based on the science of probability and vouched for by the Ameri- vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. It set out the odds of any one man in all of history fulfilling even only eight of the sixty major prophecies fulfilled by the life of Christ. So for him to fulfill just eight of those sixty. The probabilities of one man doing all eight of those uh, are astronomical. And they calculated it this way. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight such prophecies would be equal to one in ten to the 17th power. And I think we have a slide there. And uh, the number is, and I I had to look it up because this is beyond trillion. I, I couldn't remember what was beyond trillion, but if you don't know, it's quadrillion. So it's one in 100 quadrillion, the chances of Jesus fulfilling eight, just eight of the 60 prophecies, and he fulfilled all 60, by the way. And Stoner claims that, and here's how he would explain it to help us maybe make sense of this a little bit better. He claims that many... Uh, that that many silver dollars, so 100 quadrillion silver dollars, would be enough to cover the face of the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. So that's uh, that's how many silver dollars it would take to cover the entire state of Texas, 100 quadrillion and two feet deep. And, uh, and then, uh, now... Most of us have been to Texas, um, and it's a it's a great state except for their football team, right? Um, now it's a pretty big state, as you know. And uh, what what they what they said would be is they would mark one of the silver dollars somewhere in these one hundred quadrillion silver dollars, and the chances of you going and putting a blindfold on and picking one from somewhere in the state of Texas, two feet deep covered in silver dollars, picking the one that was marked, that would be equivalent to what Jesus did in fulfilling just eight of the prophecies from the Old Testament. Pretty amazing. Pretty wonderful, if you ask me. See, His coming was indeed wonderful, but then uh, notice here, uh, secondly, not only was His coming wonderful, but His character was wonderful. As Jesus grew and and began his public ministry that we uh, see recorded in the scriptures, we see him uh, display his character, and and every aspect of it was indeed wonderful. I think of the fact that first of all, most importantly, is that he had a sinless character. There was no sin in him at all. Hebrews said Hebrews chapter four and verse fifteen says, "For we have not an high priest." which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in an, all points tempted like as we are, and I like what the writer of Hebrews says next, yet without sin. Uh, see, he never sinned. Yes, he was tempted, just like you and I are tempted, but but he never sinned in, in all the 33 and a half years that he lived upon this earth. He never uh, caved into the temptation, like sometimes you and I do. And he never did. He was sinless, and that was essential for him to be the appropriate sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Had he sinned just one time, just one small little sin, then that, little sac- then that sacrifice on the cross would have been completely in vain. But because he was sinless, he was able to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. So he was sinless in his character. He was also kind and compassionate. Uh, We've been seeing in the Gospel of Mark how many times he has stopped and called a time out to show compassion to someone uh, in some type of need that they may have, or maybe even a group of people. We've seen a couple times how the Lord stopped and was able to feed multiple people with just a little bit uh, to show his kindness and his compassion. But then we see also his power Uh, was on full display as well as he uh, walks the streets of this earth. He was powerful. All told, there were around 38 miracles recorded in the Gospels. in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you add all them up, comes to about 38. Uh, But the Apostle John said as he ended his record, uh, ended his record, the Gospel of John, here's how he ended it. The last verse in his book, the very last verse, he says, "Uh, there are also many other things which Jesus did. uh, The which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. He says, if we really took the time to record everything that the Lord did, all the miracles that he did, there wouldn't be enough room in this on this planet to hold all the books that would hold all the things. Because Jesus did do quite a few miracles that were recorded, but then all the things that just kind of got, it was like, oh, Jesus healed another person. Do we need to write that one down? Nah, we already wrote one that was similar to it, so let's just leave that one in. His power was on full display and his, 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 to show us that his character was Wonderful. But then, but then thirdly, not only was his coming wonderful and his character wonderful, but his charity uh, was wonderful. Um, many of us who've grown up in church, when, from the time we were a little, little child, maybe remember the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Um, the Bible does tell us that Jesus loves us and his charity and his love again was on tremendous display. I think one example that uh, comes to my mind was in John chapter 11 as Jesus was there at the funeral of his very close and dear friend named Lazarus. Remember he had been dead for four days and finally Jesus says, well, where have you laid him? And they, they took him to the place where Lazarus was in the tomb and and as Jesus recognizes that, we have the, the shortest version in the King, shortest verse in the King James version of the Bible where it simply says, "Jesus wept." John 11:35. But then the very next verse, verse 36, as the Jews were watching all of this and seeing the heart of Jesus on display there as he sheds tears for a man that he indeed loved. The Bible says, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. See, Jesus was, he displayed his love on a very regular basis. But the greatest way he showed us his love was when he died on the cross for our sins. Romans 5 and verse number 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The way that God showed his love, the way he demonstrated and proved it was when Jesus died on the cross for us. Um, This didn't happen, but somebody kind of wrote a little poem type thing and said, yeah, I asked Jesus how much he loved me and he said, and he stretched out his hands upon a cross and said, this is how much I love you. When the California gold fever broke out, Back in the 1800s, a man went there, leaving his wife in New England with his boy. Well, as soon as he got on and was successful, he was going to send uh, for his wife and son. Well, it was a long time before he succeeded, but at last, he finally got enough money to send for them. The wife's heart was uh, elated, and uh, she was glad to be able to go home and go, go to her new home and see her husband and... And, and let her son see his daddy. Well, so she took her boy to New York, and they got on board a Pacific boat and sailed away to San Francisco. They had not been long at sea before the cry of fire, fire, rang throughout the ship, and rapidly it gained on them. Well, there was a powder magazine on board, and the captain knew the moment the fire reached that powder, every man, woman, and child would indeed perish. So they got out the lifeboats, but they were just too small. And in a minute, they were overcrowded. Everybody wanted to be on these lifeboats. The last one was just pushing away when the mother uh, that was on the ship with her little boy pled with them to take her and her boy No, they said, we have got as many as we can hold. She entreated them so earnestly that at last they said they would take just one more. Do you think she leapt in that boat and left her boy to die? Not for a minute. No, she seized her boy, gave him one last hug, kissed him and dropped him over into the boat. My boy, she said, if you live to see your father, tell him that I died in your place. And that is a faint picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. See, it was me and it was you who should have been on that cross. We were the guilty ones. We were the ones who were sinners, not him. We already mentioned he was without sin. He was innocent. And yet he took our place. I should have been the one to be crucified, but it was him instead that was because he loved us. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 16, not John three sixteen, but 1 John three 16, says this, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Now, his charity was wonderful. And then I see fourthly here, his cause was wonderful. Okay, so he came to this earth and it, it wasn't in a big hoopla. There wasn't a lot of parades and, and uh, you know a lot of amazing lights and bells and whistles when Jesus came, just a bunch of shepherds who came to see him at his birth. Why did he come to this earth? Why, why was he here? Why would God become flesh and dwell among us? Well, Jesus declared in his conversation with Zacchaeus, do you remember that? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. <laughs> Climbed up into the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I won't actually sing it because it'll, it'll create emotional trauma for you. Um, but in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, as he, he, he's in the end of that, that conversation with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus ends up getting saved. And then he says, For the Son of Man has come to... Uh, why, why why, are you? Why did you come, Lord? Why did you go through all the process of being born of a virgin and being born in Bethlehem's manger and going through all of that? Why did you come to this earth? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. See, he came to seek and to save those of us who are lost. What was his cause? Well, see, he, see, he came to seek and to save you and me. Galatians 4 and verses 4 through 5, we've already mentioned this as our memory verse. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. That's you and that's me. He came to redeem us, to seek and to save us. So the reason he came was to provide a way of salvation for you and for me. Sounds pretty wonderful, doesn't it? Paul said it this way in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 9, he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I mean, he was in heaven. He got to be around all the angels praising his name. Then he comes to this earth, and people despise him and spit upon him and beat him. and He he, he knew that was in his future, and yet he came anyway. Amazing. He says that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And you know what? That's exactly happened in my life. Yes, I was poor. And we're not talking about just material blessings and material goods. We're talking about spiritual poverty. Um, But through Christ, I am indeed rich. Because now I have forgiveness of sins. Now I have uh, of the, the promise of a future in a place called heaven. Now I have a church family, a brothers and sisters, a new family in Christ. Now I have the Holy Spirit residing within to guide and direct me. And I'll praise the Lord. I am indeed rich. I'm a rich man. I may not have a lot materially, although God's been good to me in that regard as well. But more importantly, I'm rich spiritually. And so, yes, his cause was wonderful, because, well, his coming was wonderful, his character was wonderful, his charity was wonderful, and his cause was wonderful. It's no wonder, let's see if you can get this one Why I put this in my notes, it's no wonder that his name would be called Wonderful. You see what I did there? Thank you very much. I worked very hard on that one. It's no wonder that his name was called Wonderful, um, but his name is wonderful he's not just wonderful but that's his name that's who he is let me see if i can get through this next one very quickly this morning his name shall also be called counselor in isaiah nine he was and is the great counselor in his first advent remember we find jesus as a 12 year old young man in luke chapter number two in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And then throughout his earthly ministry, he taught and gave counsel that was unlike anything or anyone else had ever heard. He spoke as no man ever spake, and, and people would, were, were amazed at what, the things that came out of his mouth. He was the ultimate counselor. He will also be the great counselor in his second coming when he rules and reigns and his counsel will stand and it will be the final say. Uh, Right now, uh, people take the Bible and they kind of push it aside and say, no, no, this is going to be the law of the land. But in that day, uh, the word of the word of Christ is going to stand. That's going to be the final answer. That's going to be the law of the land. And he's going to be the great counselor. Psalm 33 in verse number 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart, to all generation. A uh, couple things about this, this name, Counselor. It speaks of some things regarding the Lord. First, it speaks of his worthiness, his worthiness. Albert Barnes, in his commentary on this name, says, Counselor denotes one of honorable rank, one who is suited to stand near princes and kings as their advisor. So we have here the Lord Jesus who stands worthy to be my counselor. He deserves to be in that spot in my life, ladies and gentlemen. And he deserves to be in that spot in your life as well. To be your greatest counselor. He is indeed suited to stand near anyone to be their advisor. Now look, friend, he created you. He knows everything about you. He died for you. He rose again for you. He provided a way of salvation for you and to meet your greatest need. And since that's true, he's worthy indeed to be your advisor and your counselor. So he's worthy. It speaks of his worthiness, it also speaks of his wisdom. If, if someone's going to be a counselor, they, they probably need to know what they're talking about, right? Um, and uh, Jesus knows what he's talking about. He created all of there is, and he has all wisdom. 1 John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things... Isaiah 40 and verse 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He understands it all. He knows. You and I just have a glimpse, very small sliver of knowledge. Psalm Psalm 147, 5 says it this way, great is our Lord. And of great power, his understanding is, this is a big word here, infinite. His understanding is infinite. In other words, he knows all things beyond what we could ever know. And he has all wisdom. Have you ever noticed that Jesus Christ, while on earth, never had to apologize to anybody? He never made a mistake. He never had an oopsie-daisy. Why? Because he has all wisdom, and he knows all, and he never made a mistake. So you can trust his counsel. In other words, because he knows what he's talking about. Um, if uh, if I really had a, if I really needed to know something about hockey, I'm probably not going to go to my wife and ask her about it. I mean, she doesn't. She's not like the expert in hockey. Okay, I'm going to go to somebody who really knows a lot, who maybe has played hockey, maybe has researched it and and done a lot of, uh, of had spent a lot of time around it. I, I'm not going to go to my wife because she doesn't really know all there is to know about hockey. Okay, when I have an issue with my life, who am I going to go to? Well, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to some so-called expert. I'm fine with that to a point, but let's go to the Lord first, because he has all wisdom. He has all knowledge. He is the great counselor. And so this idea of him being the counselor speaks of his wisdom, but it also thirdly speaks of his work. Okay, so we know that his name would be called counselor, but why is that significant for us today? Well, since he is worthy to be my counselor, and since he has all wisdom, he then is able to give us counsel for our lives right now. His work in our lives as believers is that he would be our greatest counselor, our greatest source of counsel. As I said before, I, I'm not opposed to people going to see a professional counselor to help them with a specific issue and need, so long as they are first seeking the help of the great counselor, and that that counselor that they're going to see are going to point them to the great counselor. Um, but if there's something else, and if they're going to point them away from God, then they're not worth their grain, their, 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 whatever they're charging you. So the question I have for all of us today is this. Are you following the counsel of the Lord in your life? Are you allowing him to be your greatest and most important counselor in your life? Uh, Those of us who are married, boy, my wife is a tremendous counselor for me. But one of the reasons she is is because she points me back to the great counselor. And I hope that I do the same for her. And and uh, and, and again, I'm not against having friends that, that give you good advice and all of that, but as long as it points them back to hey, you need to get your counsel from the Lord, then it's then it's good advice. Solomon wrote these words to his son Rehoboam. You might be familiar with them, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. But just because we're familiar with them doesn't mean we don't need to listen to them again. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In other words, Solomon was saying to his son, hey, listen and trust the counsel of the Lord instead of your own counsel, your own experience, and your own wisdom. And we're going to lean somewhere. You're going to lean on your own wisdom, but, but... I'm telling you, those of us who've done that before and go, you know what? That hasn't always worked out in my favor. But when you lean on the Lord, on those everlasting arms, he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us and he'll never fail us. And so uh, as he is our counselor, let's lean on him and his counsel as opposed to just our own human wisdom and experience. Later, Solomon writes this in Proverbs 19, 21. He says, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So as we live our lives, we can live it according to our own understanding, according to the devices in our own hearts, or we can live our lives according to the counsel of the Lord that will stand forever. It's up to you. What are you going to choose? Are you going to allow him indeed to be the counselor in your life? Now, one day he's going to uh, literally sit on the throne and, and rule and reign for a thousand years. It's going to happen. But right now, guess where he rules and reigns, or at least he desires to, in each of our hearts. And he has counsel that he wants to give us through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to disregard it and say, well, that's not what my flesh wants to do? Or are we going to say, you know what? I'm going to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. So this morning, we've looked at two names, the Lord Jesus. The Savior was going to be given. He was going to be given the name Wonderful. And in that, I see, boy, what he did for us on the cross of Calvary was Wonderful. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, look, He died on the cross for you. Yes, He died on the cross for me too, but, but He died for each one of us as if we were the only one on this planet, because that's how much He loves us. And if you're here and you've never been saved, today is the day. But His name shall also be called Counselor. He desires to counsel, to be your greatest source of counsel and, and, and through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit that uh, guides us and directs us in, our, in this life. Look, my encouragement for all of us is to seek and to trust His counsel in this life. These, these names that He was given, they weren't just happenstance. They weren't just accidents. It wasn't like God had a, a, a baby name book and we're like, let's slip through here. Ah, oh, wonderful, that sounds good. They were all there on purpose uh, for us. Okay, he's wonderful. I trust him as your savior. He's our counselor. Let's trust him in this life with the different things that he needs to guide and direct us in. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the names of Christmas the names that Jesus was given. He was given the name Wonderful. And Lord, as we look at your life and what you did for us and coming to this earth and and why you came and and how you displayed your love, Lord, all we can say is, Lord, that's an appropriate name, Wonderful. Lord, if there's one here today that's never trusted Christ as our Savior, never realized how wonderful you are, I pray, Lord, today would be the greatest day. May they come to Jesus and be born again. And then, Father, for those of us who have been saved, Lord, help us to allow you to be our main source of counsel in this life. Help us, Lord, not to look to worldly philosophy or just what our friends say. But help us, Lord, to look at what your word says and what the Holy Spirit is guiding us to do. And help us to do it, to listen to that counsel. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask uh, Miss Pat to play through on this uh, next song. And as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and thanksgiving and perhaps a time of decision as well uh, in your relationship with God as she begins to play.